Me. Holy Spirit, we are so dependent upon you to hear your word. I pray that it would not just be my words, but your word speaking through me. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, many of you know that my wife, Laura, and I love national parks, and I'm going to have to apologize to you because you're going to hear so many sermon illustrations about the national parks over the years. You're just going to have to deal with it, all right? You're just going to have to deal with it. There's just going to be too, there's just too many. Uh, so one of the favorite national parks that Laura and I went to was Mammoth Caves National Park in Kentucky. Uh, has anybody been there? Anybody been to Mammoth Caves? Okay, a few of you, yeah. Uh, it's a really awesome place. If you've never been, it's, it's quite amazing. They are mammoth. They're huge. It's one of the largest cave systems in the world. Um, and it's just really fun to explore. We did a, uh, a six-hour tour of the cave. Um, and I believe we never retraced our steps even once. Um, and that, that's just how large this system is. And that, that was just a fraction uh, of the cave system. And uh, we've done several cave tours. And there's almost always a, mo- a moment in the tour where the guide wants to show you what it would have been like to explore the cave without modern technology. And so they, they begin to warn you that they're going to turn off the lights. And that where you are in the cave, there's not, there's not a ray of light that could get, get there. There's not, there's not an ounce of light. And so when the lights go off, they tell you that you, you're going to be able to stick your hand right here in front of your face. And you won't even be able to see it. Because there's no light getting to you. There's no light. And so, and you begin to realize, and you kind of picture trying to explore this cave in the dark. And you realize, this would have been so difficult. You would have been tripping over this, this, you know, this stalactite or stalagmite, and you would have been, you know, bumbling and stumbling and fumbling around trying to find your way. You know, with the light on, it was like the, the path is so clear. But in the dark, that, that path that was right in front of you, that was so obvious, but with the lights off, now, now you can't see it. And the passage that we read this morning gives us that picture of humanity's search for God. He says, Paul says, God is, is right there. He's so near to us, yet we're, we're reaching out for him. And there, there's some type of, uh, of obstacle in our way. We're kind of reaching out and we're, we're stumbling and fumbling and we can't quite get to know God the way that we would like. You know, we, we've, we've been in this Explore God series over the past seven weeks and we've been uh, exploring God, answering some of the toughest questions of the Christian faith. You know, last week was, you know, is the Bible reliable? We've talked about, is Jesus really God? And today we are charged with the question, can I know God personally? Uh, and the passage that we read this morning, I believe, helps us answer that question. Uh, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts 17. We're going to be looking at that passage throughout today. Uh, and if you uh, don't have your Bible with you and, and you want it on the screen, I'm going to put the couple of verses I'm going to highlight here. I want to bring back to you verses 26 and 27. You can look at this with me. So Paul, he is, he's on his missionary journeys, and he's, and he's in Athens, and he gets a chance to proclaim the gospel to the Greeks. And, and so he gets the chance to explain the gospel, and this is what he says. He says, From one man God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. See, what Paul is saying here, God has set up the world so that all of us, all of humanity, would actually reach out for God and find him. And I believe that every person, no matter how deep down it may be, has a longing to be reconnected with their creator. God designed us this way. We have a longing to be reconnected with God. But the the truth is, he doesn't 
automatically make us like that. He doesn't force us into a relationship. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't automatically program us like robots that were just designed to, to say that we love him. And No, he, he respects and honors our choice. He respects that, and he wants us to love him freely in return. And so uh, because he loves us, though, he is pursuing us, he is persuading us, and he wants us to reach out for him and find him. He wants you to explore him and get to know him on a personal level. But yeah, as I said, there's this tension that we all face. We know that God loves us. We know that he wants us to get to know him. Yet why do we find it so difficult to know God? If all that's true. Why does it feel like there's sometimes such a disconnect between us and God? There's all, if we're honest, there's all times where we felt there hasn't been a connection. Or we felt alone. Or we felt abandoned. Or we felt like, man, I can't really hear God's voice. Or I can't connect with him or I'm not sure who God is. Where do I even begin? How do we know who God is? How can we foster this relationship? And so what Paul was, was saying is, he says this word that, that humans are, they're reaching out for God. And, and the Greek here, it kind of, it, it carries the sense of kind of someone who literally is in the dark reaching out for something. Paul's saying you're, you're like in a dark cave trying to reach out for God and find your way, but we stumble along the path and we can't quite find our way. Even though God is right there. God is always near. He's, all, he's never far, far from us, but we face all of these barriers. And so what happens is we stumble onto wrong paths. We stumble onto wrong ideas about God, and we need help in learning who God is. And so what if you could identify the barriers between you and God? What if you could identify what is keeping us distant from him? And what if you could find the right path to reconnect with your creator? I believe that you can. I believe that you really can. And here's the bottom line I want to get across to you this morning. We can know God personally because Jesus provides us redemption, real connection, and reconciliation with God. Let me say that again. We can know God personally because Jesus provides us redemption, real connection, and reconciliation with God. And we're going to unpack what that means throughout the rest of the sermon. But what I want to start with is I want to start by identifying some of those ways uh, that we trip up, that we, that we fumble around and we stumble onto the wrong path, I want to identify those wrong ways and help us shift to a more healthy and more accurate way of coming to know God personally. So whether you're new and kind of just exploring uh, this topic or even, whether you've been a Christian for a long time, I believe this is going to help you get to know God a little bit better. And we all want to do that, don't we? So let's dive in. Uh, number one, in getting to know God personally, we must shift from rules to redemption. We must shift from rules to redemption. You know, I think one of the first mistakes that people make when trying to relate to God is that we kind of picture them, him as some like mean principal at your school trying to enforce the rules or, or, may, or maybe like a, a police officer who's with a speedometer just trying to catch you, just trying to get you, you know, and make sure that you're following all the rules. You know, they think, uh, you know, God has all these laws and we, we, we better not break any of them. And I think people who operate under the kind of the, the policeman mentality about God. They, they try to keep it all going, right? By, they try to avoid doing all the wrong. And what happens is it very easily slips into legalism. Now, legalism essentially is adding more rules to the Bible than the Bible has itself. It's adding more things on top of the things that God has revealed. And, you know, the rule people, God bless them, they can't, they can't really help it because that's how they picture God and how people should relate to him. You know, the rule people, they, they're the kind of people who might add rules about games or about TV or 
They, perhaps they might give you rules on maybe this is exactly how you should pray exactly this way or you should dress this way in public or at church. Um, and they give you all kinds of rules to follow. And the rule people are the type who said years ago that you shouldn't dance at all because it might lead to sin. I mean, these are the types of things that they say. And, you know, the rule people, they're usually very well-meaning. They're very well-meaning. And some of the rules have some wisdom to them as well. Uh, but it really, it's actually misguided to base our relationship with God on rules because they're basing it primarily on fear and guilt. When you base your relationship with God on rules, you're operating out of fear and guilt. In our story that we read this morning, the Apostle Paul, he's walking around Athens, that great ancient city you can picture in your mind. You can see some of the monuments still today. In verse 23, look what he says. It says, it says I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. You see, well, what would happen in the ancient world is sometimes altars would be discovered. You'd find like an altar that was, that was broken and, and in disrepair and it needed to be rebuilt. And there usually was some type of inscription on the altar that would tell you to what God that altar was for. But if it was broken or it was decayed, you couldn't really tell. And at that time, people believed that all of life was controlled by the gods. And so you better make sure you keep all the gods happy because if they're not happy, if they're not appeased, things will go wrong in your community. Your crops will fail. Your flocks won't do well. Something bad might happen in your family if the gods are mad. You better keep all the rules because if you break them, the gods are going to get you. And so they would make sure to erect this altar to an unknown god just to, just to cover their butts, just, just in case something might happen. We better make sure we keep this god appeased because they might be angry if we break the rules. You see, we haven't changed too much, have we? People today, they may not be sure who God is, what he's like. Maybe he's kind of unknown to them. But if they believe anything, they believe God has a bunch of rules. And you better make sure you don't break them. Otherwise, he's going to be angry and he's going to get you. He's going to mess up your life. And when you base your relationship with God on something like that, you become afraid of God. Because you're certain he's probably mad at you for breaking the rules. You probably carry around guilt and shame in your life because you've known that you've broken the rules time and time again and God must be angry about that. But friends, this is the kind of answer that you come up with when you're fumbling around in the dark trying to find out who God is. This is the kind of the answer you come up with. You see, God is not a police officer in the sky enforcing the rules upon us. No, he is your heavenly father redeeming you from fear, redeeming you from guilt and shame. And that word redeem, it simply means to buy out of slavery. It means to buy you back. Look at, look at the Apostle Paul, the same, the same guy who's preaching to the, uh, to the Greeks. Look what he says in Romans 8.15. He says, the, whole, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father or daddy, father, or dad. You see, through Jesus Christ, you were redeemed from fear. You were redeemed from the slavery to, to the rule-keeping, slavery to the guilt and shame that you've carried around. Through Christ, you're adopted into God's family, and you don't have to be afraid of God anymore. You don't have to be afraid of your salvation anymore. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we know that God loves us. We don't have to be in the dark about that. We know that his love will always continue because he sent his son to die for us. What else will he withhold from you? 
He loves you so deeply like a loving father. Now, of course, God has commands to obey. We all know that. Uh, but like a, rather than being a police officer, he's like a loving father who empowers us to live out what he has called us to do. He helps us when we are weak. He forgives you when you fail. And his love never changes towards you no matter how much we fail and break the rules. His love never ends. So to know God personally, we have to shift from this rule-based mentality to, to a redemption-based relationship through Jesus Christ, allowing God to set you free from fear, from shame, from guilt, and from sin so that you can walk with him in the light. We can know God personally because Jesus provides us redemption and real connection and reconciliation with God. So that's number one. Number two, we have to shift from rote to real. We have to shift from rote to real. Now, back in Greece, when Paul was in Athens, he noted how very religious the community was, right? And to last week's sermon point that Matthias did such a great job with uh, about the Bible being reliable, this is a very historically reliable point. Uh, William Barclay, he's a Bible scholar, uh, he says this. He says, It was said that there were more statues of the gods in Athens than in all the rest of Greece put together. And this is really interesting. In Athens, it was easier to meet a god than another person. Wow. It's crazy. This is a very religious... I mean, you, everywhere you look, there's temples and gods and festivals. And at that time, there was a whole elaborate system of rituals, of sacrifices, of parties, of festivals, of dinners and honors of gods, and all of these things that you had to keep going, all of these rituals, so that you could, again, make the gods happy and make sure that they were okay. And so when Paul has an opportunity to explain the gospel of Jesus to these people, he tells them the truth. That's what he says, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Paul's saying, you guys, you're fumbling around in the dark again. You're stumbling around in the dark. You see, God is the creator. He doesn't live in these buildings. He doesn't live in these temples that you have built. Rather, he made you, and he built the world that you live in. And he doesn't need, need anything from you. He doesn't need your rituals. He doesn't need your sacrifices. He doesn't need all that stuff from you. Rather, you need everything from him. He has given you life and breath and everything else. He is the creator God. He made the animals, the fish, the birds, even the mosquitoes. Only God knows why. He made all of these things. He created all of it. And therefore, he doesn't need to be served with all of these rituals that you do. You know, us human beings, we were created with this, this desire to know God. Um, but even when we know the truth, even when we know Jesus, we, it's, for some reason, we, we think that God needs all of these rituals from us. And so even if we know the truth, we often, we have this tendency to drift into a rope-based relationship, a ritual-based relationship with God, rather than a real connection with God. And so some people, they mainly think that God wants you to do the rituals. God wants you to go to church. You know, he wants you to pray the Lord's Prayer, put a few bucks in the offering plate, all, all those kind of things. And now, now we're good. God and I are good. We've done, we've done what he expects. We're, we, we checked it off the list, and, and now God and I are good. Even longtime followers of Jesus are prone to this. We're prone to this. We get into the routine of church, 
And it becomes just, just so familiar, it becomes routine. But what happens is we're not, we're not connecting with God outside of Sunday morning. We're not, we're not praying on our own. We're not reading the scriptures on our own. We're not living out the commands of Jesus and reaching our neighbors and doing all the things that connect us to God. But I tell you, we, we love going to church. <laughs> we, love, we love the ritual. We love the routine. We love the culture of being a part of it. But we don't want the inconvenience of knowing God personally. Oh, man, because, because that would demand too much. That would demand too much if, if we had to follow Jesus every day and take up our cross and follow him. But we'll take the ritual. I mean, imagine if I said to Laura, hey, honey, let's get together once a week for an hour, and if you're lucky, I'll be in touch. <laughs> that's not going to fly. But that's what we do with God. We show up to church and we say, God, here's your hour on a Sunday, and if you're lucky, God, I'll be in touch. You know, maybe once or twice I'll try to connect. But we do that with God, and we, know that's, and we know in real relationships that would never cut it. That would never be enough because it's a real connection that God wants, a real relationship. You see, God is not the one who is distant from us. We are the ones who are distant from him. We keep ourselves at a distance. We don't open up to his love. We don't open up our lives to his transformation, to his Holy Spirit, to his presence invading our lives every day. I mean, do you want to stop going through the motions and experiencing, experience a transforming walk with Jesus every day? God invites you to shift from a ritual-based, a rote-based relationship with himself. Now, I've got to give a caveat here because I believe rituals are actually really important. You know, my family has dinner together most nights of the week. And that's a really important routine. That's a really important ritual. But the problem would happen is if I said, okay, well, we've had dinner together, check, now we're done. If that was our only connection throughout the week, that, that, that would become a routine, a rope-based, I'm just checking it off the box type of thing. But when the dinner is in the context of an ongoing family life, where we're connecting every day, we're talking, we're sharing love, we're sharing stories, we're, we're sitting to get together at, on the couch at night talking and sharing, that's when the ritual becomes meaningful. Coming, going to church is so, is so utterly important. And I'm so glad you braved the snow to come out here this morning because this is really important. But it becomes unhealthy when this is what you base your relationship with God off of. God, I did the ritual. Check. I'm done. That's not a real connection. That's a ritual-based connection. And God is inviting us to shift from that. And because of Jesus dying on the cross for you and sending his Holy Spirit, friends, you can be connected to God all the time. Don't take that for granted. That at any moment, you can just pause what you're doing and talk to your Heavenly Father. How hard would it be to try to get a hold of the president of some company or the, our president or some, some ruler or power? It would be extremely difficult. But we can, at any moment, we can bow and talk to our Heavenly Father. He wants to hear from us. His arms are reaching out, offering a real connection. We just have to reach out to Him. So we can know God personally because Jesus, he provides us this redemption. He provides us this real connection and he provides us with reconciliation with God. And that's number three. We have to shift from self-righteousness to reconciliation. Shift from self-righteousness to reconciliation. You know, I think closely related to this idea of performing all these rituals is performing all these good deeds. You know, if, I just, if I just do enough good deeds, if I just do enough right, then I can be connected to God, I can know God. You know, and like I said, in ancient Athens, you had to perform all of these sacrifices, all these rituals, keep the gods on, your, on, on the good side. And in many other religions, it's the same thing. You have to make sure that you've done enough good deeds 
to outweigh the bad. And so you've got to make sure that you've done enough that you're on the good list and not the bad list. And many people, we're all prone to this, that we take, the, we take this exact same approach to the, to the Christian faith. If I just do enough good deeds, if I'm just righteous enough, if I'm just a good enough person, God's going to see that and I'll go to heaven and I, and I don't got to worry about that personal relationship part if I'm just, if I'm just good enough. But friends, this is so misguided. It's so misguided. It's fumbling around in the dark again, stumbling on the wrong path. Because God, he's not like Santa Claus. He's not like Santa Claus. He's not making a list of naughty and nice people, checking it twice, seeing how have, as, has Adam Reimer's done good enough this year. We'll, we'll see if he's on the, on the good list. See, are you on the innocent or, are, are you the innocent or guilty? Are you, are you naughty or nice? We better thank God that he is not like that. He is not like that. Because if that were true, none of us would make the cut. If that were true, we would all stand guilty before God because we know that we have sinned too often and too greatly against a holy God. Romans 3, 10 through 11 and verse 23 says it this way. It says, as, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, sin, this is the reason why so many of us, we feel so disconnected from God, it's because of sin. You know, the Bible describes the creation of the world and when sin enters the world, that God's presence cannot fully dwell with sin. So the, the Adam and Eve, they're cast from the garden. But then the rest of the story is how God is trying to reconcile them back, that he can't be with sin fully, but he's trying to bring the people back. So that's why you have the sacrifices of the Old Testament. But then when we get to Jesus, when we get to Jesus, God is accomplishing, finally, reconciling us to himself. Because Jesus, he was a sinless man. He never sinned one time. And so when he died on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. So that all the things that we've ever done, all the things that, that we carry around, the guilt, the shame, the deeds that we don't even want to remember or tell anybody, Jesus paid for that. Jesus washes that away so that you can be reconciled to God fully and reunited with him. Titus 3.5 says it this way. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, because of his mercy. Jesus tells a very famous story about a son who takes the, his inheritance from his father. He takes, he takes the money that he has coming to him and he, and, he, and, he, and he runs away from the family and he goes, squanders, he squanders the wealth and all kinds of wild living and then he needs some money so he gets a job feeding the pigs and he's so hungry, he's starving and he is wishing that he could just eat what the pigs are eating and at that moment, the son has an epiphany. He has an epiphany. He's just, and he thinks, oh, wow. Even the people who worked for my dad have it better than I do. Even the people who were just the hired servants in my dad's house have it better than this. And so in, and I imagine in shame, he begins the long walk back to his father's house. And along the way, he, he's preparing what he's going to say because he's carrying around so much shame and so much guilt and so much burden. And he's, and he's preparing to say, you know, get, Dad, I'll just, I'll just work for you. I'll just, just, just take me back as, as a hired servant. I, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. I'll just, Dad, Dad, just let me work for you. 
And people, they try to do the same with God, don't they? Oh God, I just, I promise I'll be a better person. I'll promise I'll, get, I'll finally get this right. I'll work on that. I'll, I'll make my marriage better. I'll try to do more good deeds. I'll, I'll try whatever I can. God, I'll just work for you. I'll do better. I'll clean up my act. But the father, he would not even think of such a thing. What he does, as soon as he sees that son coming to him, he runs. He runs. He's so excited. And he finally sees his son and he wraps his arms around the son. He kisses him and he's delighting in him. And he rejoices that the son who was lost is now found. And then he throws a party to celebrate his son returning home. You see, he wouldn't take the son back for any amount of good deeds. There was nothing that the son could have done to make up for his deeds of the past. No, the father takes the son back because of his mercy, because of his love. Because he can't stop loving the son. And so it's not anything the son could have done. He couldn't have, he couldn't have done any good deeds. He couldn't have made up for it any way. But the father just receiving him into his open arms. And some of you, I, I really believe you need to hear this this morning. God wants you home. God wants you back. He wants you in his arms. He wants you home with him. Don't worry about the past. He took care of all the sin, all the things you're ashamed of. He took care of that through the, through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And now your relationship with God, it's not dependent on anything that you could do on, on your righteousness or anything else because God has reconciled you through the cross. He's welcomed you home. See, knowing God, it's all about that relationship with Jesus. We're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. It's not what you do, it's who you know. It's not what you do, it is who you know. Do you know Jesus? John 17, 3 says it this way. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and that the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So can we know God personally? The answer is yes. You can know God personally because Jesus has provided us redemption and real connection and reconciliation with God. It's as, it's, as, it's as if you were in a dark cave and you couldn't literally see a thing and then God turned on a spotlight on Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, now you can see the path and God is saying, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life. This is how you are reconciled to me through my son. Trust in me, see the path. And he's inviting us, he's reaching out for us that we might reach out for him and find him. He has shown us the way. He has shined the spotlight on Christ. So how do we get to experience this? How do we do this? We do three things. We trust, we invite, and we walk. We come to trust that God and Jesus, they, they are telling us the truth, that they are, that Jesus is who he says he is, and we come to believe that he is the son of God. And then we invite. We invite Jesus to have a real connection with us, we invite him to be the Lord of our lives and to follow him. And then we walk. We walk it out every day. We don't base it on rituals. We, do, we have a real connection with God every day. It's, it's easy. It's simple. It's free. It's a gift of grace. It's a wonderful thing. If you've never taken that step this morning, I would really love to help you do that, to make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. After the service, I'll be up here for a few minutes. I'd love to pray with you and help you do that. For those of you who have been Christians for a long time, where is God calling you out of rote? Where is God calling you out of ritual? Have you lost your first love? You see, our relationship with God, it's like all relationships. You, you get out of it what you put into it. You're as close to God as you want to be. He's not distant from us. We're distant from him. We can take the step anytime we want. Are you as close to God as you would like to be? Is there something you, would you like to be closer to him? 
What is, here's the, my challenge to you. What is one thing you could do to reinvigorate that first love for God? What is one thing you could do that would shift you from rote to real? What is one thing you could do? And I'm going to give you a suggestion. I'm not going to go into it now, but uh, over Lent, we're going to do what's called the covenant challenge. And it's going to be some spiritual practices with others that are going to help you get closer to God and get to know him personally. And so we're going to invite you to do that. I just want to put that on your radar. But even if it's not that, what is one thing you could do to get closer to God and get to know him personally? Friends, God has given us this great gift, the gift of himself. And that's the good news. How we're going to end this morning is I'm going to invite John uh, Herpelsheimer to come up. You know, on, on a sermon on knowing God personally, I don't think it really makes a lot of sense for me to, you know, pray for you today. Uh, I'd like to invite you just to talk to him directly because you can. You can talk to God right now. And so I'm going to give you a few minutes. John's just going to give us some instrumental and just talk to God about your relationship. Invite him in. Invite him to, to draw you closer to let his spirit speak to you. What is that one thing you could do to draw closer to him? So just take a few minutes and spend some time with God personally.